This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, this is our 2024 forecast show. And helping me out with the program today is my special guest, Mr. Michael Oliver. Uh, Michael founded Momentum Structural Analysis 30 years ago. Uh, He has a very unique method of analyzing markets, and I'm going to get his take for you as to what he thinks lies ahead for stocks, bonds, gold, and commodities moving ahead. I also, in on today's program, want to offer you the opportunity to get my 2024 forecast. It is the January 2024 special report. All you need to do to get your free copy of my 2024 forecast is go to requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. And when you go to the website and request a 2024 forecast, I will also send you a copy of, of my best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing, which has been completely revised for 2024. So again, to get the book, to get the report, to get the forecast, go to requestyourreport.com. Now, ever since 2011, when the Federal Reserve began this program of quantitative easing, when the Federal Reserve began this program of creating currency literally out of thin air, I have been steadfast in my forecast that the monetary policies of the Federal Reserve would have the U.S. economy experiencing inflation followed by deflation, just as one of the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, suggested would occur if the American people ever allowed private bankers to control the issue of their currency, which incidentally we did with the formation of the Federal Reserve back in 1913. Now, over the past 13 years or so since the Federal Reserve began quantitative easing, there have been times that the prosperity illusion, and I use that term intentionally, there have been times that the prosperity illusion created by easy money policies has convinced many Americans and even some financial analysts that colossal levels of currency creation were a solid economic and monetary policy. And as a result of these policies, the economy would forever boom. Now, if you've been a longtime listener to my program, you know that I have been a dissenter from day one. Now, I say that fully realizing that at times, I've sounded a lot like the boy who cried wolf of Aesop's legend. Now, at the time that we are recording this program in early January 2024. It seems that this forecast of inflation followed by deflation is coming to fruition. Just take a look at where we are. The Federal Reserve has now put interest rate cuts back on the table. This complete 180 degree about face by the central bank, going from saying we're going to tighten to We're going to put rate cuts back on the table. Happened in 12 days last month. At the same time, worldwide, the move away from the U.S. dollar continues to pick up steam. The BRICS coalition, and BRICS is an acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. The BRICS coalition already had Russia 
a large energy producer as a member. Now, as we enter 2024, three more energy producing countries, Iran, United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia, are now all part of the BRICS coalition. We also have two out of three American households now living paycheck to paycheck. Inflation has taken a toll on the budgets of the working class, while higher interest rates have taken many first-time home buyers completely out of the market. So it seems presently that the policies of the Federal Reserve over the past decade or so have been actually the cause of much or many of the current problems that we now see in the economy. There's an old axiom that says the rooster always comes home to roost, and that may be the case now as it relates to Federal Reserve policy. So in short, I see a recession ahead. Probably not a mild recession. I see it as a severe recession ahead with declining real estate values, falling stock prices, and bond prices that continue to be volatile. Now, I see this recession as being a lot different from recent recessions in that it will be an economic pullback characterized by stagflation. Stagflation is price inflation combined with a contracting economy or recession. So let's look at consumer price inflation first. Consumer price inflation, I'm sure it's no secret to you, means higher prices in the things we buy. The price of food, the price of clothing, the price of other items that we have to buy increase. Now, as I've already mentioned, um, I believe there will be a couple drivers of additional inflation as we move ahead to 2024. One, the Fed has decided they will pivot. That will be inflationary. Secondly, with the BRICS coalition now expanding, this move away from the U.S. dollar will likely accelerate. That will also be inflationary. Now, when you think about how easy money policies impact inflation, you have to remember there's a time lag between the beginning of easy money policies and when inflation actually emerges as a result of these easy money policies. I've interviewed a lot of people on this topic over the years. Many of you have heard the interviews. I think the fact that there is a time lag between the time currency is created and the emergence of inflation is universally accepted, I'd say there's a 12 to 18 month time lag from the currency creation to the resultant inflation. Now, if you look back to 2020, massive currency creation took place in early 2020, and it took a little more than 12 months for inflation to appear in earnest. Now, I expect that this time, the time lag could be shorter, due to the fact that inflation has not been contained, despite what many in the ruling class would have you believe. Now, the official inflation rate uses the consumer price index as a metric. Now, this consumer price index is, let's just say, manipulated. 
Some would say adjusted. I'll say manipulated. There are adjustments for hedonics. There are substitution adjustments. Um, and there are other adjustments that are made to make the reported inflation number look more favorable. In 2022, the official inflation rate was 6.5%. 2021, 7%. 2021.4%. If you go back to 2019, it's 2.3%. And 2018, 1.9%. So over the last five years, if you add all those numbers together, you come up with an average inflation rate of between 3 and 4%. Now, the reality is that does not reflect your buying experience or my buying experience. If you look at the Chapwood Index, which is a private index that takes a look at what items actually cost, you get an annual inflation rate of closer to 12%. So the first part of the 2024 forecast I would have for you is that I believe inflation will continue and it will intensify. So as you're doing your retirement income planning, this is certainly something to factor in and to take into account. And toward that end, I'd like to invite you to get the 2024 January special report, which contains my forecast for 2024, as well as the revenue sourcing book. I'll send you both of these resources free. Just go to requestyourreport.com and let me know where to mail the information. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with Mr. Michael Oliver. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Michael Oliver. Many of you will recognize uh, Mr. Oliver uh, as the founder of Momentum Structural Analysis, the firm has been around for 30 years. They have a lot of institutional subscribers, although more recently, starting in 2016, uh, they are also working with uh, retail investors, and uh, his approach to uh, analyzing markets is uh, extremely unique and extremely effective. So, uh, Michael, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to the program. Great to be back, Dennis. So, Michael, just for our, our, our new listeners uh, that, that may not be familiar with your work, could you talk a little bit about what motivated you to found Momentum Structural Analysis? By the way, I don't think I mentioned the website for the listeners. It's olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com. But what motivated you to, uh, to found the firm, and uh, what makes your approach unique? Well, uh, I originally started in the industry, so-called, uh, in 1975 when gold was uh, legalized for trading in the U.S. on the COMEX in New York. And it was January 75. I got hired by E.S. Hutton, which then was headquartered in, down in lower Manhattan, near 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 the COMEX headquarters, actually, which was on Broad Street at the time, um, in the commodity division, international commodity division. They were, at that time, the second biggest commodity firm in the world. Uh, E.F. Hutton doesn't exist anymore. Good old firm. <laughs> anyway, I printed, I didn't know anything about, uh, I knew a lot about gold fundamentally and, I mean, and especially philosophically. Uh, meaning it is a, you know, it's it's been money for thousands of years and hundreds of different countries, and uh, it's a stable form of human interaction, a, a trading unit for human beings to interact with each other. And they can sort of count on its reliability of holding its value, very important. And so philosophically, I was, I was a gold bug, and uh, my political background, I'm a writer of also of libertarian ideas. But anyway... So I got hired by Hutton, 
And I didn't know a darn thing about uh, technical analysis. So my boss was David Johnston, who was also the chairman of the COMEX. He was also head of Hutton's commodity division. So he showed me how to do price chart analysis. You know, the simple bar charts and draw lines on them and all that kind of stuff. And for years, I, I worked with that. But uh, later on, uh, I, I caught the crash in 1987. And I caught it via momentum analysis that I constructed, where I plotted the price action of the S&P in its relationship to, on an oscillator, in other words, to a given moving average, in that case, a three-quarter moving average. And I caught the crash. And after catching it, I said, you know what? I, I need to work more on this method because this is there's something good here. I caught it early on before anybody could see it on the price charts, see what was cooking. Uh, anyway, in 1992, we started MSA at the request of a major large bank <clears throat> asking for our research to be provided to them. And uh, at that point, it'd be 1992, so <laughs> 31 years ago. Um, and we provide analysis in all four major asset categories, the bond markets, stock markets, uh, foreign exchange, and commodities with an emphasis on gold and silver. So we're looking at all the big tectonic plates that are moving around. Not We're not just blindfolded looking at gold or blindfolded looking at the stock market. These markets quite often, and especially now in this investment period, uh, they are banging into each other and having implications for one another, sometimes coincident with the trend, let's say of gold, or often opposite to it. So we see, if, you, if you're interested in gold, which is our primary focus right now, we think it's about to rise and ascend again in a way that will heads will turn. Uh, you have to look at the other markets because they tell you what's going on and they tell you what the money movement is going to be and especially what is Fed policy going to be. And uh, we have some major macro ideas on that that fit with our technicals. And uh, let me put it this way. I think 2024 and 2025, quite possibly 2024 with an exclamation mark there, are going to be years of massive price and market movements that will both benefit and hurt people uh, if you're on the wrong side of a given market. Uh, and I think all of these things are going to coalesce this coming year in a way that turns heads. So, Michael, just, just if you could, before we get into the, the detail, and if you're just joining me, I'm chatting with Michael Oliver. He is the founder of Momentum Structural Analysis. The website is olivermsa.com. Give me your take on just the health of, of let's focus on the U.S. economy. Are, are we in recession in your view? No, no, we're not, but we're going to be. Uh, we have here, here's the background context that is rarely discussed on financial TV shows. We have the biggest paper stock market bubble in U.S. history that went between 2009 low and the 2021 highs. And basically, most indices are still trading at or well below some of the cases the 2021 price highs. Okay, um, forgetting that <clears throat> the it's a dozen it was a dozen year bull market which is like three times the length of almost any bull market, dot com, the 2002 to 2007 bull market that was a lot of real estate in there, or the, the early 1920s to 1929. So the duration of the bull market was much longer, and two, the dimensionality of the move was far greater. Most of those prior bull markets were doubles, triples possibly, from measuring from a bear low to a bull high. Ours was sevenfold for the S&P. 
16 folds for the NASDAQ 100. Now you can say, well, that's a good the economy was strong. Well, if you look at the, we'll see the causal factors, get an M2 chart from the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, you can get it online. And look what M2's done decade by bloody decade since the 1950s. It's basically doubled every decade, and especially uh, in the, the last decade, especially over the last several years, for example, during the COVID period, there was a massive acceleration. Also look at a, at a Fed funds rate chart, meaning the, the rate that the Federal Reserve sets the short-term rate set. And you'll see it dropped to theoretical zero and laid there for a decade, meaning Think about it from a fundamental point of view. You're a family making a financial decision. Let's say sell your house and build a bigger one. Okay. Two, you're a small company, a family-run business, or you're a large corporation, and you're trying to decide whether to expand your floor space, hire more workers, uh, add a new product, et cetera, et cetera. Or you're a municipal government or state government going to build a highway system, et cetera, et cetera. One of the key factors that you must process in that decision-making process is what is the price of money? It's a fundamental plank of any financial decision. Families on up. <clears throat> We've been deluded for a dozen years as to what the price of money is because the central bank priced it at theoretical zero, way below any market reality. And therefore, decisions were made over that dozen-year period, not just a few years of error, but a dozen years of error, People making decisions to commit money, to make commitments in, in production facilities, et cetera, et cetera, that were based on a false prime uh, underlying premise, the cost of money. Now, suddenly, things have changed, and more or less the, the bandages were ripped off, and the errors will be exposed on a micro level and a macro level, and I suspect that we're going to see that especially show up in 2024 with the data points definitely hit. So, Michael, in the, in the time we have left in this segment, about four minutes or so, um, as we now move into recession, and you, you mentioned, uh, it really jumped out at me, that this stock market bubble was uh, being 12 years, and we were up sevenfold in the S&P. I think you said 16-fold in the NASDAQ. Those are, those are uh, uh, remarkable numbers. Uh, where, where do you see stocks going over this uh, coming correction? And, and, and do you have any clues as far as timing goes? Yes. Uh, right now, we've been laboring. For, we call the top in January of 2022. At that point, the S&P was coming off of a peak uh, just above 4,800. Now we're up to 4,700 again. Uh, and the NASDAQ was, 100, was dropping off. But most indices and sectors were coming off of major peaks at that point. They dropped hard into 2022. We predefined the nature of the first phase of the bear market as being arm wrestling. And sure enough, it's been arm wrestling. Whereas if you got out when we said get out, you're basically still smiling because it's only now coming back up to around the levels where we said get out. So you haven't missed anything. Uh, now, if you got short at the lows, you're hurting. But if you basically exited when we said to, then you're, you're, you missed this turmoil. We think the next phase is about to commence and that this rally, when it rolls over, and it won't take much rollover from right now. Let's talk S&P, for example. Now, caution, though. S&P is extremely distorted index. It's comprised primarily of a handful, especially three, major overweighted stock symbols such that they call it the S&P 500, but they really should call it the S&P 5, okay? 
So it's being distorted by the actions primarily of Apple and Microsoft, which made new highs recently, marginal, very marginal, and then wobble back off. <clears throat> Most of the stocks in the S&P 500 aren't near their all-time highs. So it's a distorted index. But even using it, right now we're trading at 4,700 area. I can broadly state, and we'll, we have specific numbers for our subscriber, that you do not want to see that index if you're long and comfy and believe in the soft the landing nonsense. You do not want to see that index drop back about six or seven percent anytime next year. You don't want to see it get down much under 4,400 at this point. If you do, we're going to start to trigger some of our major re-trigger, excuse me, some of our major negative metrics, momentum-based metrics, back into a status that says, okay, uh, the game playing's over, bear market back on again. Okay. Now, this is the way the market topped, by the way, in 2000 and in 2007. Laborious up-down action, the kind that comforted the bulls, but was really topping action. And we're, we're getting that now. It's even more protracted. It's almost two years wide. But again, this is a much older bull market, much bigger, so this topping process takes longer. But if you roll over back to about 4,400 on the S&P, which is no big deal, that doesn't even take out the low we made a few months ago at 4,100. Uh, the whole structure is going to move back down in a, in a way that will become noticeable. And at that point, you're going to start to get the data points, so-called, that the Fed likes to talk about. But the real data point that's panicked the Fed right now is the fact that their T-bond market crashed this past summer into the fall. It didn't just go down. It crashed in price, meaning yields exploded. Uh, and it did it in a manner that looked more like Japanese government bonds. In other words, they were out of control. And that panicked the Fed and the Treasury probably more than anything out there. Data points don't matter. If that market gets into that sort of illiquidity and can collapse in the manner in which it did. Now, it's V-bottomed, and we expected that. We call the collapse, and we call the upturn. The upturn, though, is not going to be sustainable. It's going to be nice and enjoyable. Rates will drop a bit. But the long-term trend of T-bonds is down in price, up in yields. Right now, we're getting a counter-trend rally. I suspect the rally was largely sponsored by Fed in the dark buying of their own bonds to support the illiquid market. Uh, and I think that uh, that, to some extent, is helping the stock market. They think, oh, boy, the Fed's going to keep rates lower forever. Go back and look at all the tops, S&P 2000, 2001, and 2007. What precipitated the collapse? The first time the, the Fed went from higher rate process to cutting rates. In fact, in 2007, if you shorted three weeks after the Fed began to cut rates, which was in September of 2007, in October, the next month, you peaked the market and the bear market commenced. So when the Fed starts to decide to soften and I think the T-bond market has panicked them into that mode. That has actually been historically bearish for the stock market, meaning the Fed is scared. Something's wrong. Well, Michael, the clock says we need to leave it there for segment one. My guest today is Mr. Michael Oliver, the founder of Momentum Structural Analysis. The website's olivermsa.com. I'll continue my conversation with Michael Oliver when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. My guest on today's program is Mr. Michael Oliver. Uh, Michael is the founder of Momentum Structural Analysis. 
they were founded back in 1992. They have been uh, serving institutional investors for that entire time. In 2016, uh, they also started to work with retail investors. Um, I find his work fascinating. Um, I follow it. I would encourage you to do the same. Go to OliverMSA.com to learn more. So, Michael, uh, in the last segment, uh, you had suggested that stocks here are, are topping. Uh, do you want to be so bold as to make a forecast as to what kind of correction you, we might see here in your view? I don't think it'll be a correction. I think it'll be a major bear market. Um, most bear markets in the U.S. over the, you know, going back to 29 even, it was a, you peaked in late 29, you had a secondary major rally into 1930, and then the real bear started, so it lasted a couple of years. But it was a wipeout. It was like an 80% collapse. Uh, the dot-com bear from 2000 to 2002, at least for the NASDAQ, which represented the dot-com stocks, was like an 80% collapse. Um, I don't think the, the issue is, uh, and it's not a correction, it's a bear market. Um, if if you go down, I think the major issue is the consequence on the street to the average person, even one not even involved in the stock market. If you recall in 2008 and nine, the pain on the street, and I'm talking even non-stockholders, was great. Unemployment, all kinds of factors like that were hurting people. Um, this time around, I think we'll see that as well. I think there's another variable out there that nobody talks about on financial TV, and I do not know why. And that is the political variable. And that, that I'm not arguing on either side. Uh, I'm just saying that there is no outcome to the 2024 election that will be copacetic. None. Doesn't matter who wins. You're going to have such terms as secession come up. You're probably going to have street violence. Either side wins. Now, there's been a lot of talk uh, among liberal commentators that Trump is a dictator and we should treat him as such. There have been polls done by University of Virginia Center of Politics, uh, both of Democrats and Republicans, showing that the outcome of the election will not be copacetic. If we're not going to have a normal, well, we lost, we'll hug you on the shoulders and work with you over the next four years. That's not going to be the outcome. But that's not discussed as a, a variable that's going to upset notions of stability. And I think that's going to come into play over the next few months. When people are going to start to realize that not only, quote, are we a divided nation, quote, unquote, but the consequence is not going to be ordinary. So that's a variable I can't define except to know that it's coming. So uh, and, and so far, it's not talked about, which is great, because that means it'll ambush people when it does come. But so, the bear market, the bear market in, two, in 1932, for example, which was massive, uh, it took two decades and another year, 1953, before you could get the Dow back up to where it had been in 1929. That's that's major. Go ahead. Yeah, so so you're you're forecasting this 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 major bear market in stocks, and at the same time you said that you think the trend in U.S. Treasuries is down. Traditionally, when you see a big stock market crash, uh, Treasuries are often a safe haven. Do you see it being different yeah. this time around? No, I don't think it will be. I think that the, the sixty forty portfolio notion, sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds, was smashed to the ground last year. Twenty twenty two, we saw the S and P down. 20-some percent for the year. NASDAQ 100 down 30-something percent. T-bonds down over 30 percent in price now, higher yields at the same time. Uh, I do not think the bear market that comes in stocks will necessarily entail anything you could call a crash. Crash being something on the order of 30-plus percent in a matter of a few weeks. 
There's a rare to happen. Uh, it happened early in the 2929-32 bear market, but then the rest of the bear market that really wiped out the, the Dow then was arduous arm wrestling all the way down. Never a crash. Uh, the 2000-2002 bear market, the S&P and so forth, look at their charts, there was never a crash. It was a wipeout. In other words, it was never of that dimension and that speed. So I don't think a crash is the appropriate term here. I don't think the, that's, that's a remote possibility at, at best. Uh, but the T-bonds are technically broken. I mean, by that, I mean price to the downside, yields going up. If you looked at a yield chart of T-bonds going back, let's say, several decades, you would see there was a big downtrend in the yields. Uh, or if you look at price, it would be the opposite, of rise in price. Uh, and then when they broke down, um, the, the the both of those charts, even price-related charts, broke massive trend lines that go back decades. We think those were valid breakouts. And the thing you're having right now in bonds with the drop in yields, the rise in price, is what we call a counter-trend rally. In other words, you you don't just go from A to Z in one without one fell swoop. Usually there are counter-trend moves in any whether a bull trend or a bear trend. And right now in T-bonds, what we're getting, I think, is a counter-trend rally, meaning a dip in yields, in what is a longer-term rise in yields, drop in price. And I think that the stock market and the bond market, uh, as they did in, in 2022, were both highly negative. And that leaves big portfolio managers and investors with a real quandary. If the 60-40 rule doesn't work and bonds don't balance out the stock market, where do you go? Uh, and I think a lot of them right now are starting to move into gold and gold related. Uh, well, Michael, that's where I was. That's where I was going to go next. I, I wanted it in the time we have left. And if you're just joining me, I'm chatting today with Mr. Michael Oliver. He is the founder of Momentum Structural Analysis. The website is OliverMSA.com. So, so Michael, that has to be bullish for gold, for for precious metals, maybe commodities. What, what's your take there? Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> There's a point to be made by gold, even just looking at a, a silly price chart. And we look at momentum first. We turn bullish on gold after being bearish, by the way, in two, early 2012, just off the high. We stayed bearish through 2015. Turned bullish February 2016 at a price of 1140 Nothing has altered our long-term bullish view since early 2016, despite many 10 and even 20% pullbacks in gold. The ongoing uptrend is intact. But even if you just look at a price chart of gold over the last three years, how come it keeps going back up to its highs? That's not the way a market tops, and it's never been the way gold tops. Gold always creates an isolated peak, can never get back to it, and the bear market follows. This time we've come back over 2,000, back over 2,000, back over 2,000, and again the fourth time, 2,100 even. Right now we're trading about 2,060. Uh, why does it keep going back up to its highs? What does it know? Gold is a wise market. It's been around 3,000 years. I think what it knows is that, one, the central bank, which got tough on money here recently, uh, is going to have to soften and go back to do what, what they were designed to do, and that is print, print, print whenever it's needed. And with the bond market crash, forget the data points. They will fall in line for the Fed to soften but the main issue for them, unstated, because if they stated it, it would indicate panic, is the crash they just saw in their precious bond market. That petrified them. And they have to defend that market at all costs, meaning they have to buy it in the dark. 
they have to encourage their fellow banks to buy it in the dark. And I think they have. That's why we're seeing part of part of the reason we're seeing this upturn recently in T-bond prices. Uh, I think that petrified them. And I, I heard, for example, a, a, a portfolio guy, a manager the other day that I respect, Jeff Gundlach, uh, essentially say the same thing in fundamentals, that the Fed is going to have to get real soft in a big way, that the events that are happening are not good. And I think if you go back in history and look at the stock market peaks and see when the Fed cut rates, you'll see when Fed cuts rates, that is not bullish. Something has scared them. And I think uh, we now have full indication that, one, they're definitely not going to raise rates again. The only issue now is how rapidly and how sharply are they going to cut rates. What has motivated them? I argue that T-bond crash was a major factor. Uh, and I, therefore, when they print money, who's the beneficiary? Gold. Gold and related. So, Michael, what's your take for uh, gold and, uh, to the extent you're comfortable commenting, silver? What's your forecast there? Uh, forecast is usually late in bull trends. Remember, this is an eight-year-old gold bull market. Low, bear low was in December 2015. We're now December 2023. Okay, so the market's got eight years of age. You go back and look at the history of gold markets, gold markets <clears throat> for the last 50 years. From the early 1970s to 1980, gold went up uh, eight to tenfold, from the $30 level to 850. Okay. From 2000, 2001, bear lows around 250, it went up to 1920 in the next 10 years. Most of those bull market moves, much of the percentage gain occurred in the last year. We're already eight years old. If we even match the dimensionality, the ratio of those advances, which were both at minimum eightfold moves, gold to be $8,000. Now, you say, well, that's outlandish. Well, no, that's just doing what we've done before, tw twice before in the last 50 years. We also have fundamental factors out there that are far more serious than any time the gold's had a bull market before, serious in terms of propelling gold upward. So uh, we make the statement that we think, technically speaking now, that we're near that final phase in gold where the upside is horrendous, where it literally sucks up the money because other alternatives don't exist. And I think that prime beneficiary of that will be the two laggards to gold, which late in bull trends is particularly true with silver. If you look late in the bull trend, like in 1979 to 1980 peak, that's when silver went ballistic. It left gold in the dust. And go back to 2010, prior to the 2011 peak, silver exploded. So late in the bull trends, Again, we're eight years old already in the in the gold bull trend. That's when you see the somewhat overlooked silver and gold mining sector turn up in a way that outpaces gold vastly. And I suspect that is around the corner uh, to where you know most people are disappointed by the pullback in the miners and the, the way silver's behave compared to gold. That can change. It did in both prior bull markets, and I expect it this time as well. In which case. That package of monetary metals and related will go up, and gold right now seems to be leading the mama market, but the children, the fitful little children, the silver and the miners, are going to get it together in a way that will outpace gold. So that's where I'd be looking right now. Well, the clock says we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Michael Oliver. He is the founder of Momentum Structural Analysis. Check out his website at olivermsa.com. The website, again, is olivermsa.com. 
Michael, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you for your insights. I get terrific feedback when you're on the program. Love to have you back down the road. So, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dennis. We will return after these words. This is RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. And thanks again to my special guest today, Mr. Michael Oliver, for sharing his 2024 forecast with us. You know, in the first segment, I talked about the fact that I expect that we'll see more inflation this year. In fact, with the Fed pivot, with the Fed deciding that rate cuts are back on the table, I expect that inflation will accelerate. When you couple that fact with the fact that the BRICS coalition has expanded, BRICS is an acronym, as I've stated, standing for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. This coalition that's really, in many respects, an anti-dollar coalition has now expanded, and the energy-producing countries of United Arab Emirates, Iran, and Saudi Arabia have now joined BRICS, and I expect that that will also accelerate the move away from the dollar again, adding to inflation. So if you're not already holding some tangible assets in your portfolio that might serve as an inflation hedge, in my view, it's probably time to think about having 10 to 20% of your portfolio in real, tangible, physical assets. In other words, assets that can't be printed. Now, to that end goal, if you'd like to get more information, I'd like to invite you to get our Precious Metals Buyer's Guide. It's absolutely free, and it's yours when you go to plpmetals.com and enter your name and address. Let us know where to mail this guide, and we'll be glad to do so at no cost and no further obligation to you. The website to get the Precious Metals Buyer's Guide is PLP Metals. That's Papa Lima, Papa Metals, plpmetals.com. And again, just let us know where to mail that report, and we'll be very glad to do that. Now, what about stocks? Where do I see stocks going in 2024? Well, as we enter the first few days of 2024, I believe that stocks may have formed a double top. Now, it's really tough to show a chart on the radio, but a double top is a chart pattern that often occurs prior to a price reversal. And we seem to have that now with the market just about equaling the prior highs here that we saw at the end of 2021. Now they've they've equaled that level at the end of 2023. So we have a textbook double stop, double top. We have a textbook point at which stocks could reverse. And I expect that from what I've seen so far that they will likely do that. Now, from a fundamental perspective, stocks are also overvalued. There is an indicator that's now referred to as the Buffett indicator when famed investor Warren Buffett came out in an interview and said it was his favorite way to determine whether stocks were overvalued, undervalued, or fairly valued. The Buffett indicator is essentially a fraction. The top number in the fraction or the numerator of the fraction is stock market capitalization and the denominator, the lower number in the fraction, is U.S. gross domestic product. So basically we're taking the total value of all stocks 
and dividing by economic output. So it takes the total value of the stock market and compares it to total economic output. Now, if you go back, for example, to the prior stock market peak in the 1970s, that number was at 87% before the market corrected during the bear market of 73-74. So in other words, stocks were valued at 87% of the U.S. economy. Compare that to the peak in the market at the time of the tech stock bubble. This is early 2000. At that point, stocks were 162% of the U.S. economy. The stock market fell again like it did in the bear market of 73-74. The stock market, when the tech stock bubble unwound, fell by about 50%. Then, at the time of the financial crisis, when the market again fell about 50%, this was from 2007 through early 2009, we had the Buffett indicator at 110%, and in 2021, at the end of the year, stocks were valued at 216%. Stocks are once again valued at about 170%. So stocks are more overvalued than they were at the time the tech stock bubble started to unwind. So I believe stocks here, from a valuation perspective, and from a technical perspective, have a lot more downside risk than they have upside growth potential. And what about real estate? Well, the indicator that's often used to track real estate prices, home prices in particular, is the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. When you look at the Case-Shiller Home Price Index going back to the mid-80s and look at the upward trajectory, you see that now prices have pulled far away from the average of that trajectory, meaning that real estate, home prices, are likely overvalued. Now, if you take a look at what that means in terms of prices, home prices have gone up almost parabolically. What does that mean? Well, it means that prices have gone up so fast, so quickly, that this rise is probably not sustainable. And that's really where we are at this point. According to Fitch, the median value of a home in calendar year 2019 was $327,100. In 2023, just four years later, it was $431,000. That's an increase of about a third, call it about 33% in four years. As I said, that is a parabolic price increase and one that will likely not be sustainable. So I'm suggesting to you that we have more inflation to look forward to in 2024. We likely have a stock market decline and a home price decline headed uh, ahead of us in 2024 as well. So to that end, if you'd like to get more information, I do have the 2024 forecast issue. It's a January special report that's yours by visiting requestyourreport.com. And when you request the report by going to the website requestyourreport.com, I'll also be glad to send you a completely updated for 2024 copy of my revenue sourcing book, which is a best-selling book, 
and it contains planning strategies for the new economy. So again, go to requestyourreport.com, let me know where to mail all that, and I'll be very glad to do so. That's all the time I have for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.